All right, y'all. Welcome to a very special show today. Uh, somebody who's been a bucket list guest of mine that I've had on my bucket list since before I even started podcasting, really. Uh, a guy that I've learned from quite a bit. One of my favorite guests of the Joe Rogan experience and one of my favorite podcast hosts, Duncan Trussell, who is the host of the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Uh, I went on his show, I think... I don't know. It seems like a year ago. I don't know. It's hard to t track time right now because as I'm sure we all feel every day feels like the same fucking day, a little bit of groundhog day going on here. But, um, I went out to LA and, uh, I had a short list of people I wanted to podcast with. I hit up Duncan on short notice and I uh, was able to make my way out to his place yeah, out in, uh, near downtown. And, um, it was fucking phenomenal. <laughs> I got to learn, uh, Duncan's backstory, uh, how he grew up, and really what steered him into becoming uh, one of one of the people in my mind who's really a, a spiritual master. I know he'd never call himself that, but um, he's such a fucking beautiful balance of somebody who is learning and on track and uh, walking walking the talk, and at the same time doesn't take himself seriously, is incredibly funny and uh, a gifted comedian and just a fucking beautiful, absolutely beautiful soul. So I had an, uh, a blast. He's been my favorite podcast this year in 2020, and that might remain the case. Um, he also helped me out quite a bit here in this podcast. You'll hear, you know, one of the things that I, <laughs> people ask me like, how do you figure out questions, especially other podcast hosts? Do you write them out? That kind of stuff. And the truth is, um, I've written questions for people in the past and it feels too rigid. So I do like to just the, go with the flow of conversation and see, see where it takes us. But, um, you know, I was reading this book, Vedanta, the Vedanta treaties, and I think it's a phenomenal book also has some rigidity to it. And uh, I bring this up to Duncan on the podcast and, uh, you know, he has, he's, <laughs> I'm talking about how rigid it is. And he's like, oh, I know that spiritual teacher. You know, it's it's the it's that you got to do it this way or you're not going to get enlightened. And there's only one path. And, and he really dives deep. I know that's butchering his uh, <laughs> it's a shitty impersonation, but um, he really just dispels that. And he says, or or the pathway is love. And he talks about Ram Dass's teachings and uh, Chogam Trumpa Rinpoche. And I right after this podcast, listen to Becoming Nobody on Audible from Ram Dass, which is just an incredible series of his lectures when he was in his 50s. And um, highly fucking recommend that. It is just a beautiful, beautiful, many beautiful teachings from Ram Dass. And uh, it put a lot of things in context for me. I think it will put a lot of things in context for people right now dealing with COVID, being on lockdown, um, and you know, if you've lost your job, really just seeing what is the point in all this, what, are, why are we here? What am I doing in life? How can I be of service to others? And how can I put all of the, the pain and suffering that's going on in the world into some sort of perspective, um, and, and draw meaning from that, you know, Victor Frankl's book, man's search for meaning is such a beautiful book because it's, it's really how we make the challenging and hard parts, how we make the suffering matter. And that is through finding meaning out of it, finding some substance that we can draw from and cultivate and um, becoming nobody did a lot of that for me. Also meditation and action. 
which is a book that uh, Duncan has recommended a lot. That's also on Audible. It's only three and a half hours. It is flawless. Just a, an incredible book from Chogum Trumpa. And um, yeah, so to say that I learned a lot on this podcast, uh, it's, it's really an understatement. It also led me as, as, you know, one breadcrumb leads to the next to those two books, which have really put so much in perspective ahead of the curve um, from what we're experiencing now. And still right now, incredibly relevant to the times that we're in and what we do going forward. Um, also, Charles Eisenstein, fantastic guy to get into. Uh, Duncan didn't recommend him, but The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible is a book I've recommended a couple of times on the podcast. Highly recommend that book as well for our current state of being. So much to read, much to learn. I encourage you all to carve out time for yourselves. If you're like me, and I'll be doing a solo podcast on this soon. What do you do with your time when it appears there is no schedule? Um, you know, we all know that children do very well with routine. And with all the schools shut down, if you've got kids, you're probably thinking to yourself, uh, every day is a weekend, or I still need to work. And I feel claustrophobic with <laughs> no time, no space, and no office to go to. And, um, you know, we also know the elderly do really well with routine right? It's one of the reasons when they go into hospice care, they have a schedule. Well, guess what? If you're an adult that's in between youth and elderly, you still need routine. And everyone needs space. It's something that uh, they talk about in Conscious Loving by Kathleen and Gay Hendricks, which is a phenomenal book on relationship. All bad relationships have some sort of codependency and all good relationships have uh, interdependence and independence and they're interconnected. But there's a healthy amount of space and closeness, spaciousness and closeness. And as we think about that for ourselves, that means we all need some sort of space for ourselves, time away from our, our kids, time away from our partners. And if you can't get that right now by taking your usual trip to the office or your usual trip um, anywhere to the gym for that matter, anywhere you would leave to have alone time, it's really important you still carve out a little bit of space for yourself. That can be meditation. Like uh, your kids may not nap. I, I get to nap with my son, which is phenomenal. And I'll usually, if I'm not tired, just meditate in bed with him while he's napping. Um, but just going for a 10 minute walk, you know, something Mark Bell brought up a long time ago on this podcast was how important it is to just hit a 10 minute walk. Do that solo. It's great to do with the family, but do that solo as well. And the more of those you trickle in, especially if it's post meal, you know, after breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you get a chance to be in nature. You can kick your shoes off and ground while you're walking, earthing, all that jazz. But um, really, it's about carving out space for yourself. And it can be a contemplative walk where you're thinking through things, or it can just be meditative where you feel each footstep on the ground and you focus on your breathing and you carve out a little space of stillness. And the last book that I recommend which is uh, a book. Paul Check just had this guy on, Amit Gaswani and Valentina Anesor. And uh, the book is called Quantum Spirituality. And it is the science of spirituality through quantum physics. And this guy, Amit, has, has written a number of books. One of them, The Physics of God, is it'll blow your fucking mind. Uh, it's just really incredible. But Quantum Spirituality, which I'm about halfway through, is uh, highly recommended and fantastic and also putting a lot of things in pers into perspective. But one of the concepts he brings up in that is how we 
take something from the quantum or the unknown or the Tao or whatever you want to call it, God space, or if God is too big of a word or has too much uh, lineage that you don't uh, appreciate how we call things into being. How do we create as co-creators? And that is a series of do, be, do, be, do, almost like a song. So one of the things that we've all been doing in the West or, or I mean, even in the East, especially in Japan, is we're, we're really good at doing. We're really good at this masculine archetype of busting our ass and, and going for it. And we're not too good at being. And I'm speaking uh, from personal experience as well. But when we cycle those back and forth of doing, getting stuff done and being, being in stillness, being in nature, being in um, our quiet center, whether that's through ceremony or song or dance or just being in stillness, uh, we find that creativity starts to become a little easier. We find that tapping into our knowing and our intuition is a little easier to access. We also find that processing power improves because we're tapping into the subconscious as well as using the conscious mind to figure things out. And there's a lot right now that we can't figure out. We can't wrap our heads around how long is this going to last? How many people are going to die? What the fuck does this mean for the economy going forward? All of these things are questions that are largely unknown. So we can just observe as we're going through this. But the thing that we are in control of is we are in control of ourselves. We are in control of our own mental, emotional state if we're paying attention to that. So what are the key ingredients that help us to live each day a little bit better, to be our best as a father, as a husband, as a mother, as a wife, as a son, as a daughter, as a member of society, as a member of this planet. And as the late great Don Howard says, para al bien de todos, for the good of all, how can we be in service of all? Well, it starts with being in service of ourselves. And if we're not taking time for ourselves to fill our cup each day and taking time for ourselves to be in our being and not in our doing, uh, that's just not sustainable. And we're seeing right now on a global scale, what is sustainable and what is not. It's not sustainable to rape the earth. It's not sustainable to continue to burn fossil fuels at the rate that we're burning them. There are lots of ways that I'm going to bring up that Charles Eisenstein brings up in his book and that you'll hear about on my, on the um, solo podcast. There are ways we do remedy this. There are ways that we come out of this better, stronger, more united, and more in harmony with the earth, which is a super conscious being. Uh, and you can figure that out for yourself through the direct experience of plant medicine. And of course, we dive down that rabbit hole with Duncan and I. Uh, I know this is a hell of an intro and there's a lot to talk about because of the fact that there's so much going on. And this podcast was done months ago, but still quite relevant in how we go about our lives and our everyday business and tons to gather from this one with Duncan Trussell. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, remember, click subscribe so you never lose an episode and you don't miss one. Uh, leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show's helped you out in life. And also check out our sponsors because these guys make the show possible. Um, no longer with on it, as I said, so all these costs are on me. And uh, if you support our sponsors, that really helps me to keep the income stream coming in. That way I can continue to fly out to my guests and do these shows face-to-face, -face, which I think are quite a bit better than the online interviews. 
Our first sponsor of today's show is Ancestral Supplements. These guys have a phenomenal product called Grass-Fed Colostrum. Ancestral Supplements is making New Zealand source nose-to-tail organ meats, bone marrow, and colostrum in simple, convenient gelatin capsules. There are many ancestral records of praise given to colostrum throughout history. For thousands of years, Ayurvedic practitioners have used colostrum for its healing benefits, and in India, cows are still considered sacred animals. Hieroglyphic texts show that colostrum was used by the ancient Egyptians as well. There is a well-known image of Hathor, the cow goddess and symbol of rebirth, where she is depicted suckling the pharaoh, offering her colostrum as the elixir of metamorphosis to confer immortality upon the king. Every mammal's birthright is to receive colostrum as our first food. Colostrum, which is the first mother's milk, is the fundamental nourishment that provides all the essentials to thrive as a healthy animal in nature. And that's what we are. We are we are animals, hopefully healthy ones. It is loaded with immune factors, growth factors, and protective proteins. It is not only essential to mammals in the wild, but its powerful immune and growth factors help us to build and maintain a robust immune system and support gut growth and repair. Visit ancestralsupplements.com to see what they can do for you. And if you use code word KING10 at checkout, you're going to get 10% off everything in the store. That's ancestralsupplements.com. Use code KING10. 10% off everything in the store. We really do want to pay attention to our immune systems right now. Obviously, Captain Obvious has just checked onto the podcast, but colostrum is one of the things that boosts immunity better than anything. In fact, HIV and AIDS patients have been known to have been using this stuff for as long as that has been uh, known to help with immune function. So since the 80s, uh, obviously, there was an impetus to want to boost immune function for that group of people. And they found colostrum to be quite effective. So check that out. Also, we're brought to you today by One Farm. One Farm is making the very best CBD products on the planet. CBD has been shown to help with immune function, lower anxiety, and improve sleep. These guys have an all-organic farm out in Colorado. It is One Farm, just as they state in their name. And just like with great coffee and great cannabis, you want it to be single origin from one source. No different with wine. You want it from one source. And this is the best way you can possibly put CBD and all the other cannabinoids and terpenes into your body. They've got tinctures. They have a brand new beauty line for women and men, eye serums, all sorts of good stuff. And they even have some cool drinks right now that are water-soluble, so that means you can drink CBD in a high quality sparkling water. Go to onefarm.com and you can find everything there at onefarm.com slash Kyle. You'll get 15% off everything in the store. That's onefarm.com slash Kyle for 15% off everything in the store. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Vital Farms. The pasture-raised pioneer that brought you pasture-raised eggs in the black carton believes that great ghee starts with better butter and that it all starts with the cows. Pasture-raised cows that are raised to graze on actual pastures like cows should be. Ghee is a clean and versatile butter oil for every culinary need. It is made by cooking down butter to remove the water and milk solids, clarifying, hence clarified butter, which means it's lactose and casein free. So a lot of people find that if they have dairy issues, they do not have any issues with ghee. Again, this has been used for thousands of years in Ayurvedic medicine. It has a deep dark yellow, which means it's very high in carotenoids and vitamin A, also very good for you when it comes to boosting immune function. You'll find that the darker the egg yolk, same deal. And Vital Farms has some really awesome orange egg yolks if you ever purchase their stuff in the stores. 
These guys are making high quality ghee products that come either in a glass jar or a squeeze bottle. Super convenient. Vital Farms Pasture Raising ensures that its four-legged ladies are free to roam and forage open pastures on the American family farms they call home. This makes for contented cows, better butter, and now greater ghee. You shouldn't have to sacrifice quality for convenience in the kitchen, and that's why Vital Farms is launching the first ever ghee in a squeeze bottle. The complex goodness of ghee is even more convenient and ready to dispense. No spoon required. Look for Vital Farms ghee in a squeeze bottle exclusively at Whole Foods Market in the original and Himalayan pink, or visit vitalfarms.com ghee. That's vitalfarms.com g-h-e-e for a chance to win on it products and a year supply of Vital Farms ghee for free vital farms pasture raised bullshit free these guys are the best thank you guys for tuning in i love you all i hope you're safe and healthy and most importantly i hope you are figuring out and sorting life by carving a little time for yourself thank you guys give my boy duncan trussell a shout out online we'll link to his instagram in the show notes and of course uh one last little tidbit Tosh and I are jumping back on social media through her account. So look for Kyle and Tosh on one Instagram page there. Uh, I'll have more about that on the, uh, on the solo podcast coming up. So again, sorry for the ramble, but here you guys go. Without further ado, my man, Duncan Trussell. Yeah, I did. Uh, I watched this. Do you know who Kalindi Ivey is? No. He talks at all the uh, psychedelic... Uh, symposiums and shit like that and he talks about I mean I'm not going to edit this out but it has been discussed on the podcast I guess a number of times now so my apologies for everybody that's got to hear about my 30 gram adventure <laughs> uh, he talks about the his heroic dose being 20 to 30 grams and so I was like I think I'm ready you know and I thought what I had was Kosamui which is like a super it's like Thai Cubensis very loving yeah but it actually was penis envy so I had 30 grams of penis envy and that was what happened? How's Jesus doing? <laughs> I saw Jesus. Yeah. I fucking saw Jesus. I went to hell. Hell was very personal. Five yeah. layers that were the eternity. Five? Eternity. Each layer was eternal. Wow. And I only got out through like truly surrendering. To what? To the experience of being locked there. Like I oh, thought yeah. my con I had died and my consciousness was there forever now. Yeah. And it was and I could consciously say I surrender to this. You know, you know like what? any of these bullshit mantras and it didn't matter. Dante's Inferno. On the gates of hell, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. And everybody thinks that's like the first depressing thing you see when you go in. But I think that's the wisdom of how to get the hell out. Yeah, true surrender. It, true surrender. If you're in hell and you have any kind of hope, you're fucked. Because mm -hmm. that's, you know, what is it? Uh, the part of the soul that burns in hell is the part that clings to life. Meister Eckhart. That's Ooh, also in, also in Jacob's Ladder, like one of my favorite movies about MK Ultra. But yeah, fuck yeah, yeah, that was it. I mean, I had like a that was like the last conscious thought was the only way out of here is surrender. And then I remember trying to say I surrender and just watching it loop and probably three or four times through. Um, in any stage, I would catch and be like, "Oh, it's 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 playing again." It would like start at the beginning and progress to worse, to worse, to worse, to truly hell the most graphic, gnarly, nasty shit. Yeah. And then um, after a while of me seeing the loop, it would just be like, whatever, you know, this is going to happen next. That's going to happen next. I'm stuck here forever. And then I'd get to the next plane. Right. And then from there, the next plane. And then I finally came out of it. And I was like, I still thought I was dead. I looked How do my, you know you came out? Because I could see my body again. 
and I saw my body and kind of laughed. Like my consciousness can't picture yeah. myself without a physical form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I took a cold shower. I felt nothing in the cold shower. So I still thought I was dead. And, um, you know, looking at my son, like brought me out of it, like seeing a picture of him. And yeah. then I was like, wow. And I looked at my clock. So my phone was off and it was 12.01 a.m. The whole thing lasted three and a half hours. Holy Lord. And I was like, I'm fucking alive. Like it was such a dope rebirth. It was the best ever. So I've died in ayahuasca and 5-MeO, but never thought I was dead still. <sighs> and it really was like the ultimate rebirth, which was the last thing I wrote on my intentions list. It was wow. spectacular. Wow. And for hours, I was like, never again, I'm good. And then probably around sunrise, because I didn't sleep that night, I was like, I'm going to do this again. Oh, it's the ultimate report card, where I'm in resistance, where I'm in acceptance. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. You're a brave man. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, that's certainly not for everyone. I talked. No, I, I talked with these Forrest about it. He, um, he. Have you listened to any of his music? Yeah, it's amazing, yeah, dude. It's incredible. I the saw Brown him Doss live. Album. Yes. Did he do like a ceremony playlist? Man, they're incredible. Like he, like it, it, They do. It's like aromatherapy during the show. Mm -hmm. It's seriously badass. And I was with a group of people, and we all just started tripping, and we weren't on anything. Like that was what was weird. Every. Like I'm with like a bunch of old hippies. We're all looking at each other like, what the fuck? Are you tripping too? Like they, he really knows how to He's a medicine man. Dial He's dialed in. the fuck in. Yes, for yes, sure. he is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's his what's his partner's name? Raja? Yeah. Yeah. No, was, yeah, Radha. Radha. Just incredible. Raja is uh, the tiger in uh, uh, Aladdin. There we go. All right. I got him. I got him straightened out. In my there head. you go. Very close. <laughs> yeah. She's fucking incredible. You know, he's walking around, he plays every instrument, you yep. know, from piano to Native American flute to harp to harmonica. And he's got this angel voice. Mm -hmm. He really does. Yeah. Dude, the whole, the, his music for Mushrooms album, which is what I was listening to during that journey, it's like a five hour prayer. Like there's just, it just fucking pulls you in to source. It's yeah. so special. They're great. Yeah. We had a, we had a, uh, just a one hour um, ceremony playlist that he did or not playlist a one hour live session that he did for us in Malibu for Aubrey's fit for service last year. And it cool. was out of this world. I love him. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Well, I mean, I've been, I've been wanting the podcast with you for some time. So I really cool. appreciate you having me back to your home. Are you brother. kidding, man? I love having you here. Yeah. Fuck the yeah. house sucks up the good energy and holds <laughs> it for a little bit. There we go. Um, let's see. I want to, uh, you know, as with the, the, the format of every show, I want to, dive into a bit of your background you grew up in ashland asheville, asheville. well i go. say that like i i was born in georgia and then traveled all over the like we moved to several different locations when i was growing up so i landed in asheville hendersonville north carolina area and that's where i went to high school so and i say for, that for people that don't know Asheville, and i've never been but i've heard a lot about it it's kind of like the like the new hippie town yeah well yeah it like when i was growing up there it was at, there was a place called Lexington Avenue that was dangerous. It was like a place where people bought crack and it's like it was like rent was so cheap and all these artists were living in warehouses there and it was really an interesting secret little like hate Ashbury situation up in the mountains and but also a little grungier than that. And then damned if the thing that happens to any place like that happened to Asheville, which is it just you know people started wanting to live there and more people came and then 
soon all the crackheads were gone, which I can't complain about necessarily. I'm sure not all of them are gone, but you know what I mean? The place just got turned into like a a, a, a more civilized place with a thousand art shops and pottery shops. And it's a beautiful, beautiful city up in the mountains, a lovely place. I really love it. And I went to college up at Warren Wilson College, which is not that far away from Asheville. Yeah, and it's it's got kind of like a... I mean, there's festivals there. It's definitely like a woke town, I guess you would say, in terms of like what it's drawing in, the type of people that are showing up, and yeah, that's, yeah, that's cool. So, like, how, my, my, I I just have questions, I guess, around going from a place like that where you started off almost like you know living in San Francisco during the '60s, but maybe not to that degree, but similar in, in some ways, right? And um, and then coming into you know, what, what is the arc that I guess drew you to comedy? And I'm not, I don't uh, wanna, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just got lucky, man. For me, it was luck. I was never one of those, like I loved comedy. And when I was growing up, I would buy these truly tasteless jokes books when I was like in uh, junior high school and I'd memorize them from front to back. And then I would just tell them on the bus to people and they would laugh and I loved that they were laughing, but I never ever connected that to me being a comedian. It was just fun to make people laugh. And but I never had the confidence like I want to be a comedian one day. Went to college, studied psychology. Um went to India, you know, had like When was your trip to India? Or imagine the first, you've been there more than once? Once, just once. Okay. I want to go back, but it was god, I was probably 26. I'm 45 now, so it was a long time ago. And we were taking this like class called Introduction to Southeast Asia with this brilliant professor. This is a hippie college, I think 400 students at the time. That was the, how many students there were. And classes were under the trees and stuff. And this professor was like, listen, I'll never forget. He's like, you're going to start experiencing the years in the way you experience telephone poles when you're speeding up in a car. <laughs> He said, just flat out, he's like, quit, don't be at college. This is a waste of time. <laughs> just go to India. That was like the first lecture. He's like, just, you know, you do, do you want these student loans? By the way, Bill Mojo, if you're listening, I'm misquoting you or something, getting you in trouble. I, I don't remember if he clearly said that, but it was this wild invitation to just dive into the world. And he had done it. He'd, he'd gone all through India his entire life. He was a, a real mystical person. And um, so anyway, that convinced me and my friend Emil Amos and my other friend David McLean to like just go to India and travel through India but regardless it was a wonderful time and after you know that I really didn't have any goal of anything I had a bachelor's degree in psychology what are you going to do with that teach in junior college yeah teach at junior <laughs> college or something maybe I just sort of with you know my grandmother passed away I inherited ten thousand dollars I thought that would last me for like two years or something ridiculous like that <laughs> and i'm like i'll just move to uh la because it seemed like a fun city to live in i wanted to live in a big city i was i wanted to either go there or new orleans so i went to la i bought i like my landlord is a crackhead i bought a vial of acid just basically was doing what i'm doing now well not the acid stuff <laughs> but you know what i mean just basically and i mean that like i really don't like and when you get older you kind of like tire of that uh that particular medicine but uh yeah i just had some synthesizers and then i ran out of money and i needed a job 
And my landlord had given me this tour of um, LA that involved the comedy store. And I remember I like touched the building and gotten this weird feeling. And so then I just started applying for a job there and just bugged the shit out of them. Now, subconsciously, I probably wanted to be a comedian, but consciously I didn't have the guts to admit it to myself. And so then I got the job at the comedy store working on the phones a few days a week. And then they moved me up to the job of the runner, which was driving Mitzi, the owner, around in a van. Polly Shore's mom. Polly Shore's mom. So in doing deliveries for the store and stuff. And then, you know, the way they talk you into that job is by saying only like comic, only people Mitzi thinks have a chance at being a successful comic become the runner. Now, mm -hmm. really, I think the reality of that speech is comedians who are like fuck this job i gotta get out of this job without pissing off mitzi <laughs> lie to the next dummy <laughs> surefire way to get 15 minutes of stage time you're guaranteed yeah you're on the fast track now yeah so yeah and then and then because i was driving mitzi around the talent coordinator princess Corey quit and then i became the talent coordinator and then as the talent coordinator I started having these like long conversations with Rogan. This is like pre fear factor, pre pod. I think this is pre podcast. None of us were podcasting except over the phone, just <laughs> yapping the same way we do yeah, now, right now when we're recording shit. It was the exact same thing. We would talk and just talk about aliens and DMT and float tanks and the government and conspiracy theories. So I, I started getting to be friends with Joe and simultaneously, I was doing stand-up, and he saw me have a good set, thank Christ, and started taking me on the road with him. And then, um, yeah, that's how it happened. So it was all just a circuitous sort of like luck after luck after luck after luck. And then I got to be a comedian, which to me is like a dream. It's a, it's a dream come true, even though I didn't know I was having that dream or wanted that dream. Yeah, that's super special. It seems like you we're drawn there and you know hearing rogan talk about that on his podcast like so many of you came up from the same spot from the comedy store you know like yeah. what a cool space yeah it's great that. it's a it's a it's a hogwarts for comedians and, and 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 it's just it's a it's a organism that has a really powerful defense mechanism and either you are accepted in it's like when they give someone a, like a heart transplant either it accepts <laughs> you or it rejects you but it, you can't confuse its acceptance as rejection, which a lot of people do, because <laughs> comedians are, can be such horrible assholes. You know, these are, they, they will brutalize you. You know, they will psychologically find exactly where you are the most insecure and merciless, mercilessly just, you know, in various ways, warp that and twist it, which helps you. Because like, what are you, what are you gonna be like insecure in front of an audience of strangers like it's a weird shaolin temple that teaches you through chaos and and also by watching great comics go up too you know because when you're a young comic you're seeing like the best comics roll through there and you're getting to see what that looks like you Do know you feel like that i don't know i wouldn't call it bullying but like the uh you know the stern order, i would call it bullying <laughs> so okay so because this goes i've seen the parallel in fighting you know like the guy who's been in the gym you're the first guy to show up it's like all right let's see if you want to actually do this yes and they just beat your ass for months yes and if you can withstand that then three or four months into it a coach will hold pads for you and actually start to teach you something yeah that was my experience at aka and that, you know similarly it. a lot of great people have come through there in, in fighting 
But I wonder, like, is there an aspect to, because Rogan has talked about this, and I'm sure you have too as well, like a lot of people that get into that, that are drawn to see the world through a different lens, have had some darkness inside that they maybe haven't looked at. And that's what allows them to see the hilarity and ridiculousness of life Mm. through a different lens. Are you, you mean the stereotype of comics having fucked up pasts? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. Most, I mean, like, it is very rare to run into a comic that doesn't have something back there that is hurt them or caused them to go into a kind of like dark, nihilistic, existential place or that, you know, they're, it's a variety of, and, and you know, like now it's people don't want to believe that. And, and I certainly don't think that to be an artist, you need to go to the university of pain or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that is a confusion people have, and it's a sad confusion because then people who feel like they haven't met whatever their quota of pain is to make good art, start hurting themselves. And I don't think that's a necessary it hurt yourself through practice, you know, not through like abusing your body or fucking your life up or something like that you know this is the problem is people see somebody like richard pryor who like of all the comics jesus look at his past his mom was a prostitute you know like he like he had it rough as rough could possibly be and uh so people see that and then they think oh fuck you know what do i got it's like well you're alive which means you're dying how about that for one (laughs) you know what i mean we're all sharing that experience we're all being slowly boiled to death by time so it's not you don't need to like have a like alcoholic ptsd father a prostitute mom or to have been physically or psychically or sexually abused or to have a drug history or to have had your friends die unexpectedly or or all the stories that you might hear you you you'll if you want to find suffering in your life it's your life because the you know that's where we're at right now it's a temporary place it doesn't have to be that way that's all so anyway that's some weird dumb caveat or whatever which is most comics i've met do have not non-standard childhoods (laughs) yeah so I, i wonder then that begs the question were you just led to comedy because it was fun to make people laugh or was there something there too in your past that potentially allowed you to see the world through different lens in a similar light of what we've been talking about. Yes. You see, I like what happened to me was um, I had a wonderful father and uh, who has passed now. And um, I, w- I wouldn't really talk about this stuff while he was alive that much. Uh, he was a wonderful man. I don't think I've ever, I've ever met anybody as like in love with life and brilliant and just unique. He was just, uh, you know, had he had just if he'd run in if he had not been born in Talbot in Georgia and if he had run into the right people he would have been a musician or maybe a comic probably an author but he went to Vietnam he signed up for Vietnam did two tours of duty in Vietnam uh got PTSD fucked up his back a boat ran over him damn yeah and uh you know he came back here because he came back here, married my mom. Thank God. Honestly, if he'd met any of these imaginary phantasmal artists that sometimes I think about, then I wouldn't exist and we wouldn't be here right now. So I guess it's great. He didn't. Thanks Vietnam. But the, (laughs) 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 if not for the fucking Vietnam conflict, I might not be here, man. So, uh, uh, 
anyway, he coped with it in the way a lot of vets cope with it now, which is self-medicating. It's a brutal, 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 brutal disorder to have. And uh, so he coped with it with alcohol and, you know, had it like, I don't think he, I don't think they just at the time were equipped to even understand what it was. I don't think back then they knew it was no, a not at all. memory certainly issue. certainly wouldn't talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't talk about it, except maybe when he'd had a, a lot to drink and then you couldn't really quite understand what he was saying. And it was bad. It was just bad. And so, but he wasn't all that. He was also this beautiful, bright light in the world that like was just a wonderful, wonderful dad, but that he wasn't the kind of dad that was going to stay married. Mm. And uh, that's because my, um, well, anyway, the point is, a lot of stuff <laughs> traveled all around you know and i think that's probably what gave me a like um uh a, a lot of people are gypsies and think they're not gypsies you know what i mean we've got families traveling all over the country with one parent or the other chasing a dream running away from a demon you know what i mean trying to get away from something to some imaginary place boozing it up doing all kinds of weird fucking like painkillers and opioids, not being able to hold down jobs and, you know, like going from place to place to place, always moving, packing or unpacking, packing from one place to the next, and then pretending that they're not gypsies, that they, they're not nomads when they are. They're always on the move. Like we are always packing, man. We are always in a moving truck. We are always going to a new place. Mm. And like that's, so I feel like I grew up as like a gypsy that didn't know he was a gypsy. The only difference is gypsies know they're gypsies and they celebrate that nomadic life. So the gypsy kids, I don't think, are fantasizing that at some point they're gonna settle down somewhere. Whereas like the type of kid I was, there's some idea that at some point, you, you're this is the house you're gonna live in for an extended time. Cause you always meet people in these neighborhoods and cities and states that have lived in a fucking house for their whole life. You go yeah. to somebody's house in high school and that's the where they were born yeah you see like every notch on the wood of where they grew from six inches to yeah like, obviously there's no six inch kids hopefully in the world but you know how whatever their their birth height was all the way up crazy you know yeah it's crazy and that doesn't guarantee by the way a great childhood p.s they get that those yeah. people have their own ball of hell to live in we all do i don't feel sorry for myself at all i'm very grateful for my life and i love where i'm at now and i i recognize that like in general in this dimension if you're looking for some kind of uh you know peaceful swath of land to build your home upon and it, you're not going to find it, it anywhere but inside yourself like you got to do that in you you know they got to find that piece of land in you and build the place in you and then um and then you got a shot you know that's what that's how i feel about it anyway no question well i'm sure many 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 millions of people and and for many many thousands of years that's been taught where did you grow up with any type of like western religious background christianity okay so okay uh, yeah uh, we my mom was a my mom's side of the family were christians um my mom became an episcopalian so like catholic light and so there was a period of time where we were like you know, reading from the Bible. And I really liked that. Uh, I love Jesus stories and I never had a bad experience with it. I, we didn't get like shame-based Christianity. We just mm. got like 
You got the gems without the guilt. That's exactly right. We okay. got hippie Christianity mostly, you know, really beautiful stories of Christ and not a lot of hell, you know, mostly like love stuff and, you know, self-sacrifice. That's what I think true Christianity is. So that was my childhood. We got that. And then my mom got into like the new age movement. And then that's where I sort of mildly tuned into Ram Dass and, um, you know, the people who I even at the time, I didn't know there are Buddhists like Jack Cornfield and people like that, Pima Chodron, those types of people. So, and then when I was in college, I minored in religion. So oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, you had finished college when you did your trip to India. Describe that because my dad's going to Rishikesh to sit with Muji for a month. Oh, wow. And he's, cool. you know, he's never done it before. Uh, he had his first like really breakthrough journey. He's done ayahuasca with me in the past, mm. but a, a year ago we did psilocybin and MDMA and he had three grams of penis envy and said like, I have prepared him for that, not the other way around. Wow. Like full downloads, full, wow. full immersion into infinite source, like understanding his own divine nature as not separate, understanding that he is eternal just as, as it all is, you know, but like really powerful, especially as he's getting older and processing the death of my grandmother and, and death in general, like really yeah. important. But yeah, he's going to go on uh, February 10th. So after this podcast comes out, I think he'll be there. Wow. And, you know, two and a half hours a day with Muji. Cool. And um, just in meditation and silence, the rest. So, wow. But talk about, talk about your experience there. Had you heard of Ram Dass prior to going? Yes. Okay. But I, you know, this was not like at the time see, when I was in college, I got lucky because I got to be best friends with this guy named Emil Amos, who is a, a brilliant musician. He's like the drummer for this band called Om, and they're like the most hardcore band ever. He also like has his own band, The Holy Sons. And like, <coughs> he was like, it was like running into someone who fell out of like a Camus novel or something. Like he was a real outsider and a real existentialist and like, not like, so, like, not like an obnoxious dude at a cafe thing, but someone who was like really, um, just a, a genius, you know? And so I, I got to be friends with him and our minds were being drawn more into uh, existentialism at the time. I mean, I was still in a Hare Krishna, chanting Hare Krishna and the mystical side of things, but we were not really going to India on a spiritual quest as much as just wanting to see this crazy place. We were looking at it, I think more from a kind of like, pseudo anthropological perspective like let us go and see this other place that we've heard so many weird things about not like i'm gonna go find a guru or i'm gonna go meet i'm gonna go to the place where ramdas's guru was or find any enlightened beings or anything like that we were like excited because we heard you could buy valium over the counter at the <laughs> pharmacies <laughs> There wasn't a, we were like going, we were like eating Valium. I remember we were in New Delhi on Valium watching Titanic. And like, I fell down the steps of a movie theater in India because I was so <laughs> fucked up on Valium. Ride around in rickshaws on Valium. We didn't do Valium that much because it, it, it's nasty. That's a horrific drug, man. It like it stays in your you. system. Yeah. Ugh, it's gross. It fucking had my ass in college for sure. Yeah, It's so gross. It's, I still feel queasy from that summer. <laughs> but like, um, that wasn't the end of it. You know, we ended up going to Dharamsala. We ended up going to Varanasi. We ended up going to um, 
some really heavy spiritual places, um, Varanasi being the most intense of them. And uh, it, cha it changed all of us. You know, it really did. It, it, is a, it is a powerful, chaotic, beautiful, ancient place that really puts your little life into perspective. Because all of these cities, many of the cities, Varanasi is one of the oldest, I think they call it the oldest city in the world. I'm not sure if it is. It's one of the oldest cities in the world. And you see it. I mean, the city's alive. It's a, it's a sentient consciousness bound together by disparate religious philosophies, ideologies. It smells like barbecue because that's where they burn the bodies in India. Oh, that's where the people go to die. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then if they die there, the belief is that they they don't come back to earth. Yeah, that's right. It's like a fast track to enlightenment. Exactly. Yeah. If you die in Varanasi, you don't have to keep reincarnating. And even if you bathe in the Ganges River, it's considered to be a very holy, sacred thing, which when you see the Ganges River and see the dead cows floating by, saw a dead baby floating in the water. Fuck. You know, when you see it, but he, yeah, it's like, it's this collision of life and death. It is a portal for sure into the Bardo. And you, um, depending on where your mind is at, it will it meets you at that level. So for me, that was standing on top of uh, this platform, looking down at this uh, old man getting cremated and, you know, watching his face kind of collapse in. And this little boy, a little Indian boy was standing next to me and he was like practicing counting with me. So as I'm watching this human being's body turn to ash, there's an Indian kid going, one. Two, three, four, five, three, one, two. The most intensely crazy, like it did feel like I was in the spirit world or something, you know? And then, yeah, so it, it moved us, man. It was beautiful. But if I were to go back there, it would be a different trip to India altogether. Oh, for sure. Um, but I'm glad we took that. I like the chaos dives, man. I say just go for it. I'm glad we went there with no real spiritual intent other than journeying into the world, which is the one of the ultimate spiritual intents, yeah. you know? And that's, uh, I highly recommend just doing that. Just go there. That was what the, my professor taught us. I just go to India, see what <laughs> happens. Something will happen for sure. Something will definitely happen. It's just, who knows what? It's a roll of the cosmic dice. Yeah, so you had that seed planted from your teacher. At what point did you get the seed planted to start looking into some of these sacred Eastern traditions from Taoism to Buddhism to Hinduism. Okay. Yeah. That for me, like I've had a few like real moments of like getting lucky enough to, um, like sort of have the scales pulled off of my eyes, you know, cause the problem is, is like, if you knew it, you wouldn't need to like look into it. Right. So, this is something Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche says, uh, confusion is actually a state of enlightenment, meaning that it's on the continuum of enlightenment. You you can't, if, if you're not confused, you're either dead or I guess enlightened, you could say, you know, you're already, you, you have realization. So you're what the confusion people have. And I think by confusion, he meant just a, what you're talking about that your father found a general sense of not really being connected to the macro, but being sort of bundled up in a nice tight, uncomfortable claustrophobic micro situation where you're just bound and gagged by your own 
habits and identity and expectations and fear. preferences and fear and all that. Very claustrophobic situation to be this tiny neurotic little floating pixel of meat and in infinity, you know? And if you haven't quite figured out a way to even briefly connect with that macro situation, the unitive consciousness source, as people call it, then you're probably freaking out as a natural result of that. It's confusion because clearly you are connected to the thing because you're in it and therefore you're connected, but it doesn't feel like it does it for a lot of people. It feels like someone tied a tourniquet around whatever the thing is that pumps the sweet mother's milk of the divine into a person's life. Maybe it comes to you in your dreams or something, right? So, um, yeah, man, like, so that's the first step is like, you don't know, probably. And I'm not saying I know now, but through psychedelics, you can get a little glimpse of that. And for a second, maybe you do know or see at the very least, you know? And for me, not just with psychedelics, but anytime I've had that experience, my mind returns something on the lines of, holy shit, this isn't what I thought it was at all. This isn't what I thought it was. This is in fact completely different. Whatever I thought it was, was a fabrication or a composition or at the very best, like a very rough, blurry sketch based on some reading or something or movies or, you know, uh, just a fantasy of what maybe we're dealing with here in this dimension and all dimensions, you know? So to answer your question, I was on LSD and I was reading the, and, and this isn't Buddhism, it was actually Christianity. Uh, I, I was uh, reading the New Testament on LSD and I'd never done that before. The book of John and, um, I just remember like all of a sudden, like the thought pattern before I got my mind blown was somebody wrote this, like regardless of the existence of Christ or whatever, somebody wrote these words down and these words are so intense. Like the state of mind, this is what I was thinking, the state of mind you'd have to be in to write down in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh. I don't have it memorized anymore, but I remember just the cadence of the particular translation I was reading. And then the, just suddenly it was like, I was like, you know, to what's that fucking awesome ministry song where they it comes from God, it's that fantastic movie about float tanks. Anyway, there's a, a sample where it's like a schizophrenic who's been given acid is saying, I feel like my heart is being touched by Christ. and that's what it felt like Mm. you know it was like oh my god literally oh my god this is the most beautiful mystical cosmic powerful thing i've ever ever touched minds with it's not the domesticated gay hating hell threatening jesus that you know that some some people think it is, and it certainly isn't the comfortable wearing a suit in church thing. This is some kind of, this is like some kind of psychedelic. This is beyond, this is what psychedelics come from. This yeah. is the source of psychedelics. And so that was a really powerful moment. And, it, and, it, and then another time I was in a Hare Krishna temple chanting Hare Krishna, not on LSD. I think I got stoned. And a similar, just a similar thing. It's just like, I know it's like for a second, you know, either you're able to see it 
or it decides to let you see it, or both of you decide it's okay to say hello. And it was a similar experience of, of uh, realizing that in that case, um, Krishna, the deities, the various symbols of God in the Vaishnava Bhakti Yoga tradition were not just like idols, stone statues that primitive savages decided to construct and start praying to out of some desperate sense of making contact or uh, overcoming their fear of death is like a lot of cynics, skeptics might say, but actually for whatever reason, it seemed seems that one of the ways that the divine intelligence likes to express itself in this particular dimension is via the beautiful uh, form of Krishna uh, and Radha. Krishna's divine lover, not Raja. At the <laughs> <laughs> it is the divine tiger. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was amazing because it was like, oh, oh. And then you realize, oh, these deities, they're alive. And this is like some kind of thing poking into our dimension. And uh, you can't see it. You can't see it unless you're like chanting and praying and meditating. Some form of altered state of consciousness, whether with substance or without. Purification. Yeah. Some form of purification. Mm. Some way of like, at least for a second, pulling open like the sleeping bag of preconceived notions regarding the universe that someone zipped you up inside of. It's like a cocoon. And then you can peer out for a second and see, oh my God, I was actually so fucking proud that I wanted God to look the way I thought God should look. I wanted God to appear in some form that made sense to me. That's how crazy I was, is that I was expecting God to conform to my expectation. And that's a really wild mistake for a little floating meatball in the <laughs> soup of but infinity. It's, it's so true though. It's not man is made in God's image as God is made in man's image. People, People who have the misconception of what God is make God in their image. You know what? I used to think that, and like that is a thing, you know, I, and it's a crazy, you know, to say, okay, wait, what are you saying? You're saying like one of the forms of the divine is like an elephant headed thing that like, you know, rides a mouse. Is that what you're saying? You're saying, man, people didn't make that. You're saying that didn't come from the mind of a human. And I think the answer is like this. You take a player piano and you put sheet music into the player piano. If the player piano is in tune, and you put in as a nice player piano, you put the sheet music in and it's gonna sound in tune and good. The sheet music's gonna sound really good. If you got a player piano that's kind of out of tune, the sheet music's gonna sound out of tune. If the player piano is missing keys, it, whatever the composition it's attempting to play is gonna sound fucking weird. So I think that the best way to put it would be out of some kind of merciful nature, this thing shows up into uh, human consciousness and the human psyche and the human psyche doesn't make it in its image it plays it the way a player piano plays with the available mm. um, notes okay and so for so so it's like a transmission and the human mind is going to see that transmission as a humanoid or some something like that but I don't think it's fair to say the human mind created that I think it's more along the lines that the the the, the human mind, uh, was able to accept a specific yeah. form. The God, the God that judges you when you die. The God that that's keeping track and tallying up. 
what you know how well you pray what good deeds you do well kind of that god you know that has not been my experience with with the with touching the divine now that, no not at all not, no. neither myself oh, not yeah, in, yeah. not in the fucking least yeah. bit but, but i'm saying I, that's the god i was taught see, that's the god i was taught through fundamental christianity yes. that's the god that when i talk to family members who are still tied into that don't want to let go of that out of fear yeah. that they'll burn in hell if they don't see it the exact way they were taught Man, I know it's like this is the you know this happens. There's sects of various of of, of Vaishnava Bhakti Yoga that become fundamentalist and you know uh, aren't what you would call sex positive by any means, you know, or aren't like and and you know I don't uh, my my opinion on that stuff doesn't even matter, you know. I understand why people are seeing this terrifying God. Because on one level, it is terrifying. And that's, you know, in uh, Hinduism, uh, Vaishnava Bhakti Yoga, Krishna shows up in all kinds of forms. So, and that's called the Leelas. So God can come to you as a friend. God can come to you as a lover. And God can come to you as death. And that's one of the forms of Krishna is this lion-headed being that is ripping the intestines out of a king that he's laid over his lap, just pulling coils of his guts out. And the king is someone who thought he was cl more clever than the universe. Mm. This is the book of Job, you know, which I love, which is Job just gets his fucking ass kicked over this bet between God and Satan. Now, obviously, this isn't, we're not, this is mythology. You know, it's just so annoying when people are like, oh, you what? So God and Satan were really gotten a fucking betting match? No, no, of course not. We're talking about a fractal here that's a story that's got a lot of data in it that's been sort of wound up into the symbol set that you can unpack. And if you unpack it and you're brave enough to do it, you're not gonna get scared. You're gonna find some relief because mm. there's a one form of the universe isn't some lovey-dovey sweet thing i mean yeah. look at kobe bryant yeah right that's not what you would necessarily call a merciful moment in the history of humanity or sports you know what i mean that was horrible horrible what kind of god would do that that's what job was asking and the answer was who the fuck are you to <laughs> i made whales <laughs> I'm the guy who made whales, or this is that beautiful poem, or girl that made whales, or some total, or whatever you wanna say, collective of entities, or alien, or whatever. It's that poem, and I don't have the whole thing memorized, it's so beautiful. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, what a mortal hand or eye did frame thy fearful symmetry. And I love that poem, because it's like, who made the fucking tiger? The tiger eats people. What kind of God is that? Is that a lovey-dovey sweet God? The God that made a fucking monster that wanders through jungles and eats children out of villages? You know, what kind of God is that? So that is one form of God. And so if people decide to connect to that form of God, you know, I can't necessarily say that that is wrong in the sense that that's one of the masks that it's the divine aspect. wears. It's an yeah. aspect. Yeah. And some people, that's how they connect. They connect to that aspect. And... uh Fortunately, that's just one of the aspects. There are many other aspects, and uh, this is why my heart usually veers towards the East, because the, you're invited to uh, sort of connect with all the aspects, yeah. not just one. Yeah, to see through all lens. But, the, you know, and I've talked with Aubrey and uh, Ted Decker and Paul Selig, and like what's possible for us to have life right now must be inclusive 
of everything we experience in order for us to experience it this way. And how boring would life be if we just fucking came here and it was so perfect. It's like the Alan, Alan Watts dream, right? If you could dream every night and live uh, however many lifetimes in that dream and it was the exact dream that you wanted, eventually you get to a point after you had every single thing yeah. fucking given to you where you were like, let's throw a curveball in there. Yeah. And over time, you'd fucking, you'd dream this dream right now. Yeah. Because you'd experience so much ease that you'd want the challenges that we're in right now. You'd want yeah. the ability to grow and learn and to remember who we are. Listen, man, I play God of War at maximum level now because I got too good at it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what people fear. That's the Alan Watts story. He's like, we're yeah. eventually going to turn the simulator up to maximum difficulty. And we're probably not even close to that now as humans because we're in the yeah. human realm. So we're in or the human form. So it's not quite all bad. It's actually considered in Buddhism uh, the ideal form for gaining realization just because we're not so like trapped by our instincts or down in those hell realms where it's like it's it's like the odds of uh, having an epiphany when you're sort of I mean just think you know like it's that Bob Marley quote a hungry man is an angry man it's like you know the hell realms when you're really like freaked out it's more it's challenging it's more challenging here in the human realm at least we have the ability to uh, separate ourselves from our thoughts and overcome our um uh, entanglement with the, our thought patterns you yeah. know unlike the fucking dogs outside the ear yapping right now <laughs> you know they can't stop that's a sneeze for them like sometimes i see the sunlight and i sneeze i have no control over that it just has been happening ever since i was a kid there's no control over it these poor animals it's the exact same thing but with running you know something moves and they're like oh fuck here we go and they're <laughs> off running they're not like choosing that you know so that's the animal realm and then the realm of the gods you know, this is a whole different challenge because now we have what we want. We have so much access and so much this and that, that really the concept of spirituality, meditating, achieving liberation, it kind of seems like a fun pastime, a kind of hobby that one might engage in in between trips to the Caribbean or whatever you're doing or flying about on your plane. And in the realm of the jealous gods, that's where the entropic, forces of the universe start happening to the gods where they actually start moving back down into the human realm. This is when you run out of money, baby. This is when like, the check doesn't come when you need it to. We've all experienced that, you know, where all of a sudden it's like, wait, what the fuck? I just had, wait, what's it? This happens? That's jealous gods. And then that, that you know, if you have the right reaction, then you can become human again. Cause you're like, oh, right. Money's not what makes me happy. Money's not everything. That's That was fun as hell, but when I really look back at those times, I was kind of freak, freaked out in a different way. This is the human mm -hmm. realm. Or you can go the other way on this uh, wheel of suffering and land into the animal realm because you can get resentful and shit as a jealous God and freak out. Anyway, the point is, it's a cycle of consciousness that within which the human incarnation that people listening to, unless there's some Nordic aliens out there, which would not surprise me, Kingsbury, you probably have some aliens that listen to this shit. The human realm, you know, is a very desirable place to be because we can uh, actually utilize this human form to um, achieve uh, liberation or at least keep our karma going in that direction. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I've been reading uh, the Vedanta Treatise. You read that book? No. Parathasi? It's no. All, I think you'd love it. It's a great one. Um, 
but yeah, he just it, he breaks down so much from every religion. There's quotes from the Bible. There's uh, quotes from Buddhism. There's obviously a lot of uh, he's Indian, so there's a lot of Hinduism in there, and um, he just you know he really puts it in plainly that every search to find anything that we we have from joy to bliss to love externally is fleeting and that it all must come from within but it already exists within so it's just a matter of tuning into that but it's the deepest realization to achieve self-realization is to understand that it's already there it always has been there and yeah. to tune into that yeah so he's very careful too i mean he shits on yoga and fucking meditation and says that they've been hawked and sold and fucking made money and, uh. and it's and it's these practices that have made their way into culture without the meaning behind it. Yeah. And that you must train your body and your mind and your intellect to be able to meditate effectively and get to the zero point field. Otherwise, it's a fucking complete waste of time. Yeah. Unpack some of that for me and like how you practice dropping in. Because I think that that's something that I've talked about before. And Paul Check talked about this, you know, when, when leaving your body on like a heroic dose of psilocybin or 5-MeO. If your body needs anything, it's like a dog outside barking. Feed me. Yeah. I'm thirsty. I need to go outside. My hips hurt. I can't sit in Lotus. Yeah. Whatever it is, you have to tend to that. Then if you have a mind that's full of desire and chasing and thinking about all this shit that's going on in your yeah. life, that's the dog still barking. And if your intellect is in a state of desiring more knowledge, more wisdom, the acquiring of these things, then that too will be a dog barking. But yeah. when you've exercised them all appropriately and you're able to move past that, that's when you can drop in to yeah. Samadhi, Satori. Well, sounds like a lot of conditions, man. And it like, does. <laughs> <laughs> like you, but you run into that all the time. There's always that. Like, and that is one of the, it's like in fundamentalist Christianity. It's the, that's there, there, there's your uh, version of it uh, from the East. Now we've got like, and you, that is a style of, of rhetoric when it comes to talking about this sort of thing is to lambast the West's adoption of mindfulness or meditation or this or that and say, that's not the way <laughs> you hear it all the time. And, and, and um, that's what I loved about Ramdas and it is, is that it, that was not, that was not the teaching. The teaching was, Oh no, I'm afraid you have, it's even worse than that. It's you're already there where you're at. It's perfect. How do you drop in? You dropped in, you're mm. in the, anxiety, the fear, the worry, the discursive thought path, whatever the thing is that he's talking about that we must tame, domesticate, put a collar on every single aspect of yourself and get it to sit and roll over. And then finally you can have a nice moment of peace. This is not, this is, though, though that is a path. This, this other path is more along the lines of, oh no, the universe is perfect as are you. And where you're at right now is exactly where you need to be. And when you fall off the path, that's the path. Oh, fuck that. What are you saying? That means actually the problem now becomes one of where we can't escape from love. We can't escape from perfection. We can't escape from uh, the reality, which is that this is a perfectly harmonious universe and that uh, we're part of it. And if we weren't, then the whole motherfucker would be, I guess, imploding or something like that. Now we find ourselves in a really difficult situation, which is you realize, oh my God, I always thought my attachment was to like the electric fence of my habituations or pain. But then you realize actually the, you're holding on to those things because you don't want to get sucked into an updraft 
of pure divine love because you're afraid you're going to dissolve into that and stop being a you. And mm. so it becomes more of a letting go and the attachment like, of self. Yeah. And being in this moment here, that's how you drop in. You're in the fantasy that you that you get to drop in is what's causing a lot of the problems. You know, mm. and this is what Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche talked about. It's like building an imaginary platform in the air and trying to climb on top of it. You're in. Confusion is a condition of enlightenment, meaning that you already have that part of yourself that recognizes what aspects of yourself are out of tune, misaligned, or confused. That part of yourself that sees those things. And the reaction doesn't need to be one of sending those things to some cosmic gem and making them do abdominal exercises but <laughs> but what ramdas advised and i love it is look at it as though you're looking at a beautiful flower the sum total of all the aspects of in your incarnation and love it because that's what you already are and just love love it love it and then through that the things that some of the more stern gurus uh advocate or uh, the 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 result that some of them promise seems to naturally happen on its own. Mm. And then suddenly you just, even when shit sucks, you're still feeling love. Even when the fucking traffic's bad, even when the marriage is weird, even when the baby's screaming and the dog shit in the fucking crates, even when the like, you know, the th all of it. Suddenly, because the expectation stops being that there's gonna be a time where this shit doesn't do that. Yeah. You know, and now we can love it as it is. Yeah. You don't have to put makeup on it, you know? This is how, so we're in, we dropped in, and there's no way out. That's fucking powerful. That re reconceptualizes a lot of what I was learning because there were some things that felt off as I was getting into that. It's almost like uh, Anthony DeMello's book, Awareness. There's so much wisdom in it, but he, he the way he communicates it is like, it's so in your face. It's like, and you do this, and you get jealous of that, and this is yeah. all that, and it's like, I like to use I statements, you know, particularly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like it's, it, it, was, it was with a lot of blame and judgment. At you least know? do a we, motherfucker. And he, yeah, and he had so much. There was a lot of wisdom, but the... the Sorry, Anthony DeMello. I don't know you. I'm sorry I called you a motherfucker. <laughs> I think he's dead now, so okay. it's okay. Hi, he's listening to this. But, um, you know, the, the way that it was written was through this lens of almost like a force. Mm -hmm. Right? Have you read Charles Eisenstein, the more the more the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible? I had him on the podcast. I didn't Dude, read that. He's fucking incredible. I love it. It's him. great because he cliff notes sacred. I think I listened to him on your podcast actually. Brilliant dumb man. question, but yeah, brilliant. So he cliff notes sacred economics, cliff notes ascent of humanity, and climate a new story, and just pulls it all together in this. And you know, the new world that our hearts know is possible does not happen through the old narrative of force. Right. Right. And there's a lens, even in the Vedanta treaties, of of like, you know, taming the body, quieting the yeah. like you have to it's almost done in like all these checks need to you need to check off all these boxes before you even practice meditation. Well, yeah, and it's like that, by the way, it's like if if you're applying that level of force to yourself, you're gonna be applying it to everybody else. And nobody wants to feel that. Yeah. Nobody like because here's the deal. If it worked, it would have worked. There would be no people addicted to cigarettes because someone would have come up to them and said, "Stop smoking! It's bad for you," and they would have stopped just like that. It would work. The force doesn't work. It love works, and nobody wants to hear that shit because it's like completely antithetical to a country. If you live in the United States, at least it's been at war for what ninety four percent of our history. 
to suddenly hear that our war-hungry uh, country, that that process, it doesn't work. It doesn't do anything except cause more problems. And so, yeah, this, this is the thing that always gets confused when people talk about Aleister Crowley. Do as thou will shall be the whole of the law. People stop with that. But then they, because they, they like to hear that because it sounds like some like badass Danzig shit, you know, like I will do this and I will this and that. And I'm going to, the, then they, the next line of that is love is the law. Mm. Love under will, you know? And I, to me, that means like love is make you, if your will, if once you connect the micro with the macro, the you are connected to love. And once you do that, your will it's not going to be a thing where you're going to want to like force people into situations they don't want to be in, yeah. make people be who they're not. It, and it's not that you're going to tolerate people either. Like you're some enlightened wizard who's around the peasantry or some shit like that either. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's that you're going to love them. You're going to love them enough that you're going to let them be who they are. Uh, now, I, I wish I lived this way all the time. I don't. But anytime... I find myself in a particularly uncomfortable situation with my fellow human beings, my child, my dogs, anybody. Uh, I don't know why I distinguish my child from my fellow human beings. He is a human, you know, and I have honestly, all I do is love. Him. I don't care what he does, man. But I've just noticed that through that, when I really love, like not bullshit love, when I really just love what's happening, love myself, that's where the real change starts happening in me. And then there's a natural reflection of that in the world. But anytime I'm trying to do like some Machiavellian bullshit, like the 30 laws of power or any <laughs> manipulative shit, even if it's subtle and, and kind of secret, it's like, it just doesn't seem to work out as well is when I just let the universe be as it is, you know, and, 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 and love it. This is what Chogim Trumpa Rinpoche calls, uh, uh, drop your agenda mm. when you're around, you know, don't have an agenda when you're around people. Give up your project. That's what he said. Give up your project when you're, what, what's someone else's project? What are they up to? Help them with that. Whatever your project was, uh, give it up. I love that. It's like an easy, easy way to reframe how to be of service to people. Yeah. You know? To yeah. all, right? Yeah, yeah. And I am not good at it because I love playing my synthesizers and making my podcast and doing stand-up. I love it. But what a wonderful invitation because when you breathe your last breath, you're going to give up your project. You're done. It's done. So might as well practice now, you know? I, you know, it's a wonderful thing to be with somebody and know that they don't want to be anywhere else. Mm. You yeah. know? Yeah, it is. It is for sure. Well, even with everything that you've got going on, from a business standpoint, a personal exploration of the things that you love and that you're into, you already are of service as a father. You have to be. Yeah. Talk about that. Like the last time I was here, uh, I think your son was a newborn. Um, we were talking open relationship and different statuses yeah. and styles and things like that. But uh, talk about how, how that's changed your life. Oh, my God. I'm done. <laughs> 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 I'm I'm a hard boy. I'm cooked. I'm the opposite of hard boy. I I can't, you know, it like uh, he's such a sweet boy. Um, How old is he now? He's a little over one now. Okay, 
I wasn't sure. I thought it was just under, but yeah, a little a over. A little over one. Awesome. Just starting to walk. Oh, you know, in trouble. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's just really great though. And and I'm lucky. My wife is an incredible mom, and she has created a space where I could do my art and do my podcast. You know, within reason. Like, uh, and she gives. It's just wonderful. So I get the experience of, you know, still getting to like do what I do and then also having this wonderful family. Not to say that we have a perfect relationship or anything. Marriage is a motherfucker. It's tough, <laughs> difficult, but it's worth it. It's just hard. Um, so that, it's taught me a lot. The main thing it, it's taught me is that um, in the same way earlier we were talking about, it's not what you expect. In fact, your expectation of the thing was keeping you away from seeing the thing. Mm. What I'm learning in a family situation and being responsible for my family and for my son, not just financially, but setting a good example, you know, as much as I can, is that this is the guru. Like, you know, this is my guru. This is me meeting Neem Karoli Baba. This is my contact with the guru. And it definitely is not what I expected my guru to look like in this incarnation. My expectation of the guru is more of like a dude in robes. White beard. Yep. White beard, magic tricks, make oranges appear in his hand. It wasn't that I would suddenly have like a baby that just shattered my heart every time he smiles at me. Or that like, I, it wasn't that I would be looking at video of my child laughing as we throw rocks into the fountain. At, just feeling as though like I was watching like a million sunrises or something like that, you know, mm. it wasn't that it's not how I predicted it. And I'm, and, and so that's what I've learned from it. It's like, Oh, okay, this is it. This is what's, this is it. This is as good as it gets. This is it. And the more I sink into that, the more beautiful it becomes, the more I entertain fantasies of, you know, taking some lonely trek through Nepal to find a, <laughs> a secret society that's going to teach me telepathy well it becomes a little painful you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> but this is surrender you know and yeah. you, you don't surrender all at once yeah. you know you have to keep surrendering again and again and again and what a wonderful thing to surrender to i mean i i i'm i'm sure you've never heard this before but i think my child is the most beautiful child that's ever existed never heard it once <laughs> <laughs> You hear him playing piano. He's a genius. You can hear it. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So it's given me everything. Yeah. You know, it's given me everything. And um, whatever the, you know, growing pains of being a new dad are, it's, it's, wor it's worth it. Because I feel real now. You know, this is an idea of connecting heaven and earth. Sometimes you can get a little too connected to heaven. Your feet come up off the ground a little bit. You need both. That's yeah. the idea. The human connects heaven and earth. It's not, you don't want to be like floating around in your like psychedelic new age balloon sort of fabricating in your mind. There's plenty of people there too, though. Yeah. You know, and they're fun to watch. You're like, hi, <laughs> hi. It's fun to watch them go by, you know, and they're, they're cool. They're like cartographers. They're like mapping out the landscape for us and stuff like that. And it's cool. I'm not passing judgment on them. But for me, having drifted on the balloon a little bit and looked down and been like, ha, look at the breeders. Look at the breeders and their little families down below. You know, and having all these ideas about what 
it was to be a father that were completely wrong. Now I understand my dad. Now I understand my mom. You know, now I understand their parents. You know, it's like giving me a real connection to the earth. So yeah, it's an incredible perspective giver. What a what a teacher. It really massive is. teacher. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That that um that first part of the thirty gram story with uh with Christ consciousness, I witnessed what looked like a mountain. It's one of my first visions, but it was my soul's or my son's soul, and I could see like all the lifetimes of wisdom embedded in his being. And wow. he's four and a half now. I'm trying to say this without <laughs> yeah, getting too choked up. But, um, you know, at each stage, it's it's presents its own unique challenges. And, and uh, it's been really hard figuring out how to discipline him appropriately because of the way I was disciplined. So like when my wife had Bear, a lot of stuff came up with her mother mm. because now she was a mother. And it happened right out of the jump, like a month into it. For me, a lot of stuff came up from, with my father around the age of two and a half and three, because that's when I actually had to step into the role of Ooh. guiding him Ooh. and guiding him in a way that was not the way I was, that it happened to me, you know? What like happened better. to you? Just stern, you know, like mm. no fists or anything like that, but... You, it was a reign of fear. Yeah, a lot of fear. A lot of fighting in my house, constant fighting in my house, constant screaming, the opposite of nonviolent communication. And I had some, I mean, I'd get lifted off the ground by my hair, kicked in the ass till I'd, my feet would fucking land on a tailbone. You know, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, you know, but, um, no, man. Yeah. I've been reading uh Selig's new book, Realization. How is it? It's fantastic. And, uh, there was a part of me that had read enough and I was like, I'm full. I got it. And then we went to, you know, he was in Malibu at the last fit for service and he gave us a, a, an attunement with the guides. And that was the first time where I felt sitting on no medicine, just dialed the fuck in. I'm in the upper room as he describes it, like yeah. just ultimate peace. And I was like, I gotta get his new book. And so I've been listening to it. And one of the things he says is, as you call this in, have compassion for the small self. Yeah. Because the small self will rear its head again in the last ditch efforts to stay alive. And you're not going to squander that. The small self doesn't die. We're intertwined and braided with it as we're here in existence in this plane. Yeah. It's never eliminated. It's never fully dissolved. But whatever your desires are from the small self, you move into the upper room and then you operate from a new level of consciousness. Yeah. You call that Christ consciousness, whatever you, whatever you want as the divine being. And your desires change in that of service, in your remembrance of who you are and what you are. And I was downloading this. And the other day, like, as I really felt the deepest connection, like if, if, when your son's old enough, watch the new Lion King with him, you will fucking cry like a little girl. Like it is, it's, it's powerful, especially for fathers and sons. But I had so many of these great moments with my son and recently, and been very proud of the way I've been handling him as he's, you know, a kid who has his own wants and needs. Yeah. And uh, I just fucking snapped while I was driving him to school. He was slamming his, yeah. his tea up and down and I just stopped the car and I reached back and grabbed him and I said, knock it off. And I yelled at him and I was like mortified. I yeah. was so, whew, 
I was so upset with myself. I didn't even talk to him the whole drive. It was a long fucking drive. It was 30 minutes. Oh, man. And I didn't say a word. And it was right before I came here, you know? And uh, so I dropped him off at school. I just gave him a hug and a kiss. Normally, I stay and play with him in the schoolyard, push him on the swing, make sure he's happy, make sure he feels comfortable and safe. And then yeah. I go. And it's all I thought about for a day, yeah. you know? And just really helped me to process that. Thankfully, we had some some of the the teacher ketamine with a, a nice sound healing and i was able to really forgive myself and let go of that but listening to this in the last day driving all around la from selig really helped me put that in perspective like have compassion for that small self when it rears yeah. its head because you don't just get it no way. you're not just i want enlightenment bam i'm there you know yeah, and how's it gonna help anything to grab the small self in a similar way? How's it gonna mm. help do the exact same thing to that part of yourself? More force. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's not gonna work. It's like, Ram Dass talks about this, many people talk about it, it's like you can't be a perfect parent. You, you, there's just no way. There's too much that we have had injected into our, our minds from our parents, but I remember um, at this show, show I did in Denver, man, this guy came up to me, we were talking, he just started crying and he goes, just remember, you're not your dad. You don't have to be your dad. He was sobbing. He's like, I'm a good dad. I'm not my dad. You don't have to be your dad. None of us. And by the way, I want to be parts of my dad. Yeah. But there's oh, parts same. of my dad Big that time. I that my I don't, I don't think anybody would think like, oh, yeah, hang on to that part. Because that wasn't really him. That was just like the defense mechanisms he'd built up to deal with the fact that he had some trauma that he couldn't handle. And so, yeah, man, that's the, the other thing is like, I think one big difference between the kind of dad you are and the kind of dad that nobody wants to be is I don't know how much that kind of dad spent contemplating, doing attunements, trying to <laughs> tune in to like that and wondering like, why did I do that? That dad is like, at the fucking bar getting hammered you know what i mean that's his ketamine attunement is yeah. like some whiskeys and then he's gonna come back and he's gonna finish beating the child you know to yeah. really really teach him the lesson or maybe in the morning he'll do it or maybe he'll psychologically torture the baby by yeah. uh not giving him attention for a week or two or three or a month or maybe he'll torture the baby by being cruel to the baby's mom or something like that you know He's not going to think about it too much. And if he does think about it, it's going to hurt so much, he's going to try to pour booze on it. Yeah. You know? The the good news is we're at the very least open to the idea of growing, evolving out of that modality of force, violence, power over the weak, victory for the strong, whatever the fuck that thing is. That's all. That's great. That's the most you could, that's all you need is that intention, mm. I think. I mean, again, you can't spiritual bypass and think, well, I have the intention. I'm just going to be an asshole for the rest of my life. But I think if just that intention alone brings in the Seligs, brings in the, the various teachers that we all are lucky enough, the books, the things, they just naturally start flowing in to the harbor of your life. You know, it, it, you just have to open up the gates with that intention. That's what I've noticed. Yeah. And, you know, God. My wonderful wife, like I think like there was a moment where that she had with the baby where she was, you know, she's driving with a baby for an hour. He's screaming nonstop. It's like you're in traffic. You've got shit to do. It's not 
what you would call a pleasant situation. <laughs> you know, this is like... It, it, and there are many of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is where it seems like a Shaolin temple. This is like the Karate Kid where he's like, wax on, wax off. It's like the child is teaching us divine patience or is teaching us what it looks like when we like don't exercise divine patience because you see it in their eyes. Mm. And... You know, this is what it's like. Who had a perfect parent? You know, I bet even fucking Jesus, I bet Jehovah at one point and whatever they ride around in heaven was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'll send you to earth again. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make you do a second coming if you don't shut up. And look what happened last time. <laughs> fuck that's great brother cool man well i definitely want to do this again i know you got you got a little one fucking incredible brother anytime man whenever you're in town let me know i'd love to hang out no matter what yeah amazing brother go get lunch or dinner or something yeah fuck yeah all right cool beautiful brother Uh, where can people find you online we'll link to all this in the show notes thanks duncatrussell.com i'm doing um well i don't know when this comes out but probably march Okay, yeah, DougAtrussell.com. All my dates are there and links to my podcast are there. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, brother. Beautiful. Cheers. Thank you guys for tuning into the show today with my dude, Duncan Trussell. Be sure to check out me and Tosh on the gram again, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well and talk about that on the upcoming solo cast. Uh, Absolutely love this one. Duncan is such a phenomenal human being and somebody that I look up to and I've learned a lot from. I love him dearly. I love you all. Take care. Be safe and enjoy life.